I've shared this with you before, but um, Ashley and I very rarely ever really have a conversation where she's saying, all right, Pastor, I'm trying to get the song service together. What are you preaching? Um, we don't really have that conversation. And there's a reason. Uh, it's because, uh, first of all, um, as, as, a, as a leader, um, my, my, my desire, my, my passion for Ashley is that, uh, that she would uh, learn to, to hear, to discern, and to obey the leadership of the Holy Spirit as she leads us in worship. And she does a wonderful job. Um, in fact, uh, I was marveling. I mean, I was, I was down here. I was, preach it, girl, preach it. Uh, because I, I can remember, uh, I can remember uh, when, when Ashley was so timid that uh, just the prospect of being up here on stage um, and having to say anything uh, was was it was a lot and uh, and to see just the Holy Spirit doing that work in her and you're just becoming bolder and bolder but your song choice as all of you are about to find out in a moment Jesus Messiah uh, I I could not have chosen myself if Ashley would have given me a list of songs and said pick the Pick the song uh, that best fits your message, and I'll sing that before you come up to preach. I wouldn't be, have been able to choose a, a more fitting song. That's the Holy Spirit, folks, uh, as you're about to find out. Uh, but I want to I say that for many, the Bible, can, the Bible can sometimes be difficult to read and to understand. Now, we know that the Bible is a divinely inspired canon, uh, but we must also recognize that it is a collection of writings compromi uh, composed rather, of uh, 66 books. Uh, it was written by about 40 different people over some 1,500 years, and might I add, in three ancient languages, okay? Um, so when people say to me, "Wow, well, you know, I just I have a hard time understanding the Bible." I get it. I get it. Uh, and yeah, there are many translations, including a couple dozen English language translations. Some are easier to read than others. Some are more reliable than others. Let's just be honest. Um, and within the Bible, uh, there are books of history. There are books of poetry, prophecy, wisdom, instruction, along with four gospels that chronicle the life and ministry of Jesus, who is central to everything. I want you to get this. Central to everything contained within the pages of Scripture. And now you're about to figure out or find out why that song we just sang was so appropriate today for this message. Because if you don't get anything else I say today beyond the reading of God's Word, I want you to get this. Jesus Christ himself is the word of God spoken to the world. Jesus Christ himself is the word of God spoken to the world. Now, over the next few weeks, I'm going to encourage you in your exploration of the Bible. I'm going to equip you with some basic principles to help you engage with Scripture and correctly interpret its texts. 
something that, by the way, we refer to as hermeneutics, all right? So you're going you're gonna to learn a little bit about hermeneutics. You might be sitting there going, what's hermeneutics? Kids are, kids are writing that down. How do you even spell hermeneutics? Uh, I'd tell you if I knew. I have to use, uh, <laughs> have to use uh, a word checker on that one, a spell checker on that one. But uh, we're going we're gonna to learn about it. And, and it's okay if you don't know what that is. We're going to learn about it. We're going to learn a little bit about it. Uh, we're going to be talking about the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But, and I've illustrated uh, this for you in our next graphic. The single most critical thing to understanding Scripture, I really mean this, the single most critical thing to understanding Scripture is to understand that every letter of every word from Genesis 1-1, the first verse in the Bible, to Revelation 22-21, the last verse in the Bible, is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the Bible is about, what it, what it all means, you will find the answer to those very important questions begins and ends with Jesus. And that is exactly the point the Apostle John is making in the opening words of the gospel that bears his name. And so I invite you this morning to turn in your Bible or open your Bible app to John's Gospel, chapter 1. That's where we'll be studying from today. vibe when I chose that music can you tell <laughs> all my 80s people were like so this gospel let me give you a little background here this gospel is written uh, much later in John's life uh, uh, most most scholars agree probably sometime around AD 85 all right uh, most of, uh, most of, of the scholars uh, agree that this was probably the last of the, of the Gospels that was written. Uh, by, by the time John sits down to write this Gospel, the three other canonical Gospels have already been written, uh, Matthew uh, being the first uh, uh, written Gospel, Luke being the second. Uh, we're pretty certain that uh, John Mark uh, wrote his Gospel somewhere around the same time uh, that Luke uh, wrote his gospel. And so this is, this is the last of the gospels to be written. And at this juncture of John's life, he has lost his brother James, along with most, if not all, his fellow apostles. Um, all of them dying savage deaths for their testimony of Jesus. And yet as John, now an old man, writes down his own first-hand account of the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. He has spent a lifetime contemplating and meditating on his experience. I want you to, I want you to understand this in, 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 a, in context of time. We're talking probably about 50 years or so. 
50 to 53 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus. So, so John's had a, a lot of time, virtually my entire lifetime, to contemplate and to meditate on his experience. Understand this morning, this guy looked into the face of God. He literally laid his head on his chest and he heard the heartbeat of his creator. I mean, think about that. I've preached dozens of sermons from John chapter 1 over the many years I've been in ministry, no two being alike. It is not only one of the most beautifully eloquent, but it is also one of the most theologically rich excerpts in the Bible. And each time I return from exploring this gospel, and more specifically from John chapter 1, I find my view of Christ bigger. My understanding greater. And my experience with him fuller. And I don't say that lightly. I firmly believe that that is precisely what John intended when he wrote John chapter 1. So I want us to read a few verses from John chapter 1 this morning, but first... Let's reverence God's word and receive it with prayer, shall we? Father God, as we, as we quiet our hearts and our minds to hear from you today, we declare this morning that your word is truth. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so today, Lord, we bless the reading and hearing of your word. Our prayer today is that it will find fertile soil in our hearts, that it will take root, that it will grow, and that it will bear fruit, that we might know you better, see you bigger, Lord Jesus than we've ever seen you before. For it is in your glorious, holy, precious name we pray. Amen. John's Gospel, chapter 1. We're going to read, um, we're going to read a few verses here. John writes, read along with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life is the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives life, light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as, the, as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, these are the most beautiful words because they are words that reveal to us the truth of Jesus and the undeniable truth of what John is saying, what he is stating without compromise is that Yahweh God became man. Now, I'm challenging you today, and I'm going to push you today. Just buckle up, okay? Because this is going to be one of the most theological sermons you will ever hear me preach. Please don't tune me out. Yahweh God became man. And this is what theologians refer to as the incarnation. God became man. It's such a simple truth, and yet it is so utterly profound. I mean, if the incarnation were a pool, a toddler could, could wade around in it. And yet it is so deep that a man could spend his life diving its depths and never reach the bottom. Think about that. Think about that. Now, you might find yourself asking this morning, Pastor Mike, I thought this was a sermon about how to read the Bible. What does the incarnation have to do with how we read our Bible? That's a great question. Thank you for asking. The incarnation of Christ is God's greatest and clearest revelation of himself. The incarnation of Christ is... God's greatest and clearest revelation of himself. Now, I want you to get this, because just as Matthew uses genealogy, John leans into, perhaps, uh, I think, the, the words of Genesis here to show the inerrant connection between the scriptures and, and more specifically, by the way, what we refer to as the Old Testament and the personhood of Christ. I want you to look closely at verses 1 through 3 with me. John writes again, In the beginning was the Word. And I want you to notice there that the, that the word, Word, is capital. It's capitalized. It is because, listen, it is because John attributes personhood in the way that he uses this word translated word so it's capitalized in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God verse 2 he was in the beginning with God verse 3 all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made 
Now, in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to, through, uh, to humanity through two primary means. Words and actions. If you go to, if you go to the Old Testament, God reveals himself through these two primary means. Words and actions. And by the way, the two work together. They're, they're interconnected. We can read how God spoke light into existence, how he created the earth from nothing, miracles, plagues, wonders, all beyond human explanation, and he speaks words of revelation, words of encouragement, words of, words of correction, and he does this through the, through the prophets. All of this is documented, and it has been meticulously, and may I say miraculously, preserved over thousands of years. And so we can open the pages of the Old Testament and read how God, with, with great intention and with great care, revealed himself to, to, to humanity through mighty words and powerful actions. But even Scripture was not enough to fully reveal God to us. And even John says as much. At the very end of his gospel, John writes these words. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. He's too big. He's too big. Too much to be captured in the words of a book. No formal uh, word study here, guys, but... John, uh, John 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, John says that Christ is the Logos, the Word. The Word. The Word of God is Christ. Christ is the Word. The Word was eternally preexistent. He was eternally in relationship. He was eternally God. He was eternally Creator. And you can see that John has a very high view of the divinity, the godness, if you will, of Jesus. He has a very high view of the divinity of Jesus. I mean, look at those words. In the beginning was the word. However, not very long after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, uh, some out of malice and frankly, some out of sheer ignorance, began to teach heresies. Now, <laughs> uh, let me preface this by saying that uh, it, likely you have the same experience I do where, where when we say the word heresy, we have to say it with a scowl, heresy! And believe me, there are heresies! But there are also heresies. Again, some did this out of Malice, heresy, and there were some who did this out of ignorance, heresy, and they began to teach heresies. Heresies are nothing but, uh, but, but false opinions or ideas that contradict what is revealed in scripture is true. So if you want to, so kiddos, if you want to know what a heresy is, there you go. It's just a false opinion or idea that contradicts what is, re what is revealed in scripture is true. It is a teaching that just does not hold up to biblical examination. And some, if not most of these heresies, were specifically concerning the divinity of Jesus. In, in theology, we call these Christological 
heresies. I told you this is a theological sermon. We call these Christological heresies. They are heresies specifically concerning the divinity of Christ. And there are a bunch of them. There were many. There are many. There's nothing new under the sun, by the way. Most of the heresies that are, that are floating around our world today, uh, are, are not, they're not new. They're not new. Uh, they've been, they, listen, they've been floating around for a couple of thousand years. There are lots of these heresies, but I want to, I want to, want to tell you about, uh, about one, in, uh, one in particular. One of the first of these heresies came to be known as Arianism. Arianism. So named for the bishop named Arius, who taught that Jesus was, get this, created by God. Heresy. Additionally, Arius taught that that though Jesus had some of God's divine nature, I mean, he was, he was kind of like God, but he was not equal with God. Heresy. I mean, and, and, and you, can, you can try and apply logic to this, and, and if, if I were to ask you know, the average evangelical Christian, is Jesus equal with God? A lot of evangelical Christians, totally out of ignorance, would say, well, yeah, I mean, he's the son, and the son isn't really equal to the father, right? That's just the thing. You cannot apply logic to this. The incarnation is not something that you can apply logic to. So Arius has gone around and he's teaching that, that Jesus is created, heresy, that he's, that he's uh, not equal with God, even though he has some of God's divine nature. He's, he's more like a demigod, you know? In, in, in Greek and in Roman mythology, we call this demigods. Jesus is not a demigod. Jesus is God. Heresy. Now there's a bit more to it, but that's Arianism in a nutshell. I mention this heresy because this one keeps coming back. It keeps showing up at different times throughout church history. They, they just keep repackaging it. But it's the same old heresy. Today it's part of the teaching of many false religions. Religions that tend to cloak themselves as Christian or Christian-like. Like universalism, uh, Unitarianism rather. Unitarianism, this is their view of Jesus. The Jehovah's Witnesses, this is their view of Jesus. By the way, it's also the foundation of the Islamic view of Jesus. He's a prophet. He's, you know, he's, he, he has some qualities, but, but he's not really equal with God. He's created by God. But that is heresy. Modern variations of this heresy will say that Jesus never claimed to be God. And boy, that's a popular one among influential media personalities. I won't name them by name, but some very influential media personalities, that's their view of Jesus. By the way, it's also sadly uh, a popular view of Jesus for a, a growing number of celebrity pastors. Of course, Arianism, this low view of Jesus, was the reason that in A.D. 325, 318 Christian bishops traveled from all over the known world to the city of Nicaea 
where they affirmed this as heresy. A lot of misunderstandings about Nicaea out there, but this is the reason the Council of... It wasn't to, 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 to determine what books were going in the Bible. That's a lie. That's ignorant, that's ignorant people who are talking about things that they don't know, that they should not be talking about. That's not, that was not even a topic at the Council of Nicaea. The purpose for the Council of Nicaea was to affirm the teaching of Arius as heresy. And by the way, if you're, a, if you're a fan of the Da Vinci Code books, Dan Brown, although he got the reason for the Council of Nicaea right, this fact that he presents at the beginning of, of the Da Vinci Code, he got the whole, the, the whole business after that wrong. He said it was all about the divinity of Christ, and they took a vote on whether, whether or not Jesus was going to be divine, and it was a close vote. Sorry, Dan Brown, I do not find 316 to 308, or 316 to 2 a close vote. By the way, and this is totally out of my notes, but uh, I just, I just got to throw this out there. Uh, there was one of the bishops who was present. And by the way, there were the bishops who were present. These were not a bunch of uh, funny guys, you know, guys wearing funny pointed hats and gray beards uh, walking around, parading around. And there wasn't a lot of pomp, and it wasn't like that at all. These were, these were men who walked in carrying the visible scars of the tortures that they endured under, under Roman persecution for their testimony of Christ. I could name the names of, of many of the bishops who were there. If you're interested in the history of this, I encourage you to read Asibius. He was there. He'll he tells you all about what happened there. There was one bishop, by the way, you'll probably recognize the name, St. Nicholas. Oh yeah, Santa Claus was there. And let me tell you, he was, he was so appalled by this heresy that he got up, walked across the room, and knocked Arius on his butt in front of Constantine. He broke the law. They had to, listen, they had to remove St. Nicholas as a bishop he was later reinstated because, well, Constantine was like, he had it coming, dude. All because of this heresy. If you don't know the name Athanasius of Alexandria, you should jot, jot it down. You should become acquainted with this remarkable figure from church history. He so despised this low view of Christ that at the ripe old age of 21... Athanasius wrote what is perhaps the, the greatest treatise on the incarnation of the Word, entitled, no surprise, On the Incarnation of the Word. We weren't real creative with titles back then, and that's okay. But if you want to sink your teeth into one of the most beautiful theological treatises since John wrote the Gospel according to John, I recommend you take the time and read it. Athanasius writes in On the Incarnation of the Word, quote, our Lord took on a body like ours and lived as a man in order that those who had refused to recognize him in his superintendence and capacity of the whole universe might come to recognize from the works he did here below in the body that what dwelled in this body was the word of God, end quote. 
You might be sitting here saying, Pastor Mike, why are you going so deep in all of this? Why the theology and history lessons, right? <laughs> Some of you guys are like, well, this is really in there. But I say all of this to, to, to tell you this. It is impossible to have an elevated view of the scriptures, but a low view of Christ. Nor can you regard Christ exalted and hold the scriptures to be anything but the determinative, determinative revelation and word of God. John makes it very clear that the two are inseparably one and the same. Don't tell me you love Jesus, but you will not open your Bible to know him. You cannot have an elevated view of Christ and a low view of Scripture, nor can you have a low view of Scripture and an elevated view of Christ. You can't. Because the two are inseparably one and the same. Again, John catalogs in these verses all the ways, all the ways that God has revealed Himself in the past. We had the words of the prophets, the witness of creation. But church, in order to fully reveal Himself, the Word had to become flesh. God had to walk among us. And Christ is the Word of God, spoken to the world, now fully revealed. If we want to know who God is and what Christianity teaches, you can find the answers. You can see for yourself by looking no further than the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus famously says in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For those who say that he never claimed to be God, look at this, from now on, you do know him, talking about the Father, and have seen him. Why? Because you've seen me. That is not a guy who is claiming to be a demigod. That is not a guy who's walking around saying, I am not equal with the Father. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. When you see Jesus, you are seeing God. The Word is the once and for all full and complete revelation of God to mankind. Once and for all, full and complete revelation of God to mankind, Jesus Christ. Jesus is to whom the Old Testament points. He is the focus and center of everything contained in the New Testament. And so whether you're studying in the Old Testament or the New Testament, all Bible study should revolve around Jesus. All of it. For those of you who are going, what does any of this have to do with Bible study? There you go. All Bible study should revolve around Jesus. All of it. And it should end with Jesus. It should begin with Jesus, it should lead to Jesus, and it should end with Jesus. Go with me now to verse 14. Verse 14 here in John 1. John writes, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
The incarnation of Christ is God's greatest and clearest initiative to make His grace and truth accessible. And that is the operative word, accessible. I want you to get this. In the Old Testament, in temple worship, God was not accessible to the common people. He wasn't. If you go into the temple, the temple was designed to to show you that God was only accessible to the priests. Only the priests would go into the Holy of Holies. Where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, the Ark of the Testimony, where where God sat upon the mercy seat. Only the high priest. And what separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, from the outer court, from the common people, was a heavy veil. But the Gospels testify that on the day that Jesus was crucified, that veil was torn in two, not from the bottom up, but from the top down. God, listen, God made himself accessible through Jesus Christ. Consider for a moment all the ways that we have to communicate in the information age. Think about this. We have text message, we have phone calls, we have, we have email, we have voicemail, we have snail mail, just to name a few. And yet, and young people, hear me out. Listen to what I'm about to say. With all of these, with all of these clever ways that we have of community, Snapchat and all of them, it is still commonly understood that old-fashioned, face-to-face, in-person communication is still, by far, the most effective means of communication. I was talking to a community business leader the other day, and he said the greatest challenge that we're facing in, in, in the corporate world is finding young people who are capable of face-to-face communication. He said, because if it's not happening on Snapchat, they don't know how to do it. But this is still how the world goes round. Face-to-face, in-person communication. Listen, they can, they can throw all the AI at you they want, but it will never, never replace the effectiveness of in-person, face-to-face communication. It is still, by far, the most effective means. And God's face-to-face, in-person revelation of Himself to us is the incarnation. Jesus. God came to us as one of us to reveal Himself to us. He came to us in a form that we can recognize. You want to know why God took on a human likeness? He came to us in a, in a way that we recognize. That's kind of diplomacy 101, by the way. And, and he also speaks to us in a way that we can comprehend. God is not only making himself known, I want you to get this, but he's also making himself accessible to us. 
He's making himself accessible to us. Now, you heard me say a few moments ago how God reveals himself to humanity through two primary means. Do you remember what they are? Words and actions. Words and actions. Words and actions. Very good. Very good. You're listening. That's good. He reveals himself to us through words and actions. Look what John says beginning in verse 16. He writes, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. Words and actions. If the law was God's words, Jesus is the action. Look at this. He says, we have received, verse 16, for from his fullness we have received. That means that someone has to give, amen? If you're receiving something, somebody has to give. And that someone is the word, Jesus. Look again, John says in verse 17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John's not talking here about some distant, disconnected deity out there somewhere floating about, unaware and detached from the affairs of us lowly men. That's not the, that's not the picture of God that, that John is painting. Rather, he is showing us the way in which God has made his grace and truth accessible to us in a way that we can comprehend, in a way that we can see and touch and experience Jesus Christ. God doesn't stop with casual accessibility. But rather, he's talking about something much greater, something much deeper. Go back to verses 12 and 13 here in John 1. I used to make our youth group kids memorize these verses. I mean, Dorinda and I, we would, we would incentivize uh, all, all day, every day, in any way that we could, that our, that our young people would memorize these verses. John writes, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? The children of of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That is not a disconnected deity. That is a God who wants to have a personal, hallelujah, a personal relationship with you, and not just any relationship. He wants you to be his familia. It's family. It's deep. It's close. It's personal. The New Testament writer known as Paul writing to the church of the Ephesians says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been what brought near by the blood, the actions, if you will, of Christ. 
the redemptive actions of the word. Jesus has brought us near, as near as a child is to the nurture of a loving parent. So when we read the Bible, it should be our goal. It should be our goal to grow in relationship. You say, Pastor Mike, I, I, don't, I don't know if I understand all of that theology about the incarnation. That's okay. I've been doing this for a lot of years, and I don't fully understand it. Just being real with you. And anyone who says to you that they fully understand it are lying to you. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, His ways past finding out. You can't. And you can't can't put it in any, any terms that make full and complete sense. It's too deep, it's too unfathomable. So if you're if you're struggling with the theology this morning, let me say to you, it's okay. But make it your goal, and it should be our goal to grow in relationship with God, to know Him more fully, to know Jesus more fully. I've given you plenty of reason because He is God. Another goal should be renewal, to be more like Him in every way. To experience transformation, Romans 12, 1 and 2. If you want to jot those down and read them later, you can. Romans 12, 1 and 2. We need to experience transformation. The Word should transform the way you think. It should transform your attitudes, uh, 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 your, the attitudes of your heart. It should transform the works that you do. And in this way, Jesus not only teaches us through His words, but He becomes our example through His actions. If you look close enough at the, at the way Jesus lived, it will help inform the way that you and I ought to live. It should inform the, the kind of things that come out of our mouths and the way, that we, the way that we treat other people, even treat our enemies. It should inform the way we, we use our social media. You say, but Pastor Mike, Jesus didn't have to deal with social media. I say to you, yeah, that's, that may be true. But I guarantee that uh, if you put a smartphone in his hand, he would not be posting some of the garbage that I see Christians posting. He would not be out there trolling and picking fights with people. He would not be posting uh, 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 polarizing political things. You say, what, what would he be posting? Well, I'll tell you what he would be posting. The kingdom of heaven is like, and then there'd probably be a picture of a seed in the ground sprouting. Listen, if you read the Gospels, you'll see, you'll see they tried to drag Jesus into all kinds of earthly things. Politics and relationships, and they, they tried to pull him into all of this stuff. Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And you know Jesus' response to that? The kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell a story. 
What is our takeaway from that? We spend way too much time as Christians worrying about the stuff of this world, arguing about the stuff of this world, griping about the stuff of this world. And all we're doing sometimes when we're quoting the Bible and trying to apply it to the nonsense that's going in this world, we're really showing how little we truly know the word. Because all that mattered to Jesus when he spent his time among us is that he showed us the way, not just through his words, but also through his actions, the way to the kingdom. We need to experience transformation. Sadly, today it is possible to possess great knowledge of the Bible, but still lack a redemptive relationship with the God of the universe. I know a lot of intellectual idiots. They possess intellectual knowledge of God through the Bible, through, the, through their Bible study, but they have no transformative knowledge of God. Transformation can only come through a living, breathing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Bible study is a great way to grow that relationship. It is a great way to enter into that relationship. But Bible study alone will not nurture transformation. That only happens through a living, breathing relationship with the Word. In the same way, you cannot maintain an open door of relationship with the Word of God, with Jesus, the embodiment of the Word, of the Word, while your Bible sits shut. Let me say that again. You cannot maintain an open door of relationship with the Word of God while your Bible sits shut. You've got to open it up. And I'm not talking about just on Sunday morning. An open Bible is an open door for the Word to draw near. Church, He has made Himself accessible. But you have to read and you have to hear the Word. But you must also apply and do the Word. It is through the Word of God that God makes His grace and truth accessible to you. If you want to understand the Bible, if you want to really comprehend and interpret what it says, it must begin and it must end with Jesus. He is Jesus Christo, la palabra, Jesus Christ, the Word. So what have we learned today? And how can we apply it to better study and understand the Bible? You can better understand the Bible to know who God is and receive what he is speaking by first and always looking to the person of Jesus, the word. Now, knowing that we dove headfirst into some very complicated theological concepts today, plus I dropped all kinds of church history on you. I want to close by saying that the Bible doesn't require a seminary degree to decipher. 
I hope that comes as a comfort to you today. It does not require a seminary degree to decipher. On the contrary, I may have shared this before with you, but I remember years ago as a college student, Dr. Woodard asked our class a, a very deep theology question. It, it was more of a rhetorical question. He didn't really expect anyone to be able to answer. I certainly didn't have the faintest clue what he was even talking about. If I'm being honest with you, it was way over my head. But as I sat there trying to wrap my brain around, uh, uh, make sense of the question that he had asked, up went a hand and out of my friend's mouth came an answer. Dr. Woodard, he was stumped. He looked utterly puzzled and he asked my friend, he said, these are really advanced theological principles. How do you know this? My friend answered that his dad taught them to him. Of course, Dr. Woodard wanted to know what seminary his dad attended. Well, to everyone's surprise, including mine, my buddy said that his father only received a fifth grade education. But he spent quality time in his Bible every single day. He loved God's Word. And God's Word was transforming him in ways that left a theologian scratching his head. I love it. Through His Word, God wants to reveal Himself to you fully. He wants you to know Him fully. He wants you to to access the fullness of His grace and truth. Church, He has gone to such great lengths to make Himself known and accessible to you. Beginning, first and foremost, with the redemptive actions of Christ on the cross. He died for you. His death is the only hope that you have of redemption. His resurrection is the power of life over death. But you must receive it by faith. And then walk with Him in relationship to know Him as He has revealed Himself through Scripture, both in word and in action. To know Jesus is to know the Word because Jesus is the Word of God. So I ask you today, and I ask you to ask yourself, do you know Him? Do you know Him today? Or do you just know some things about Him? There's a difference. There's a big difference. And the difference is heaven and hell. Stand with me. If you don't know him today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to be standing right over here to my left, your right. Dorinda will be standing over here to your left, my right.
We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. I'd love to make an introduction. He is my best friend. And he has done for me what I simply could never earn, nor do I deserve. And what God has done for me, what Christ has done for me, he wants to do for you. If you're here today and, the, and you know him, if you have a relationship with him, you may say, Pastor Mike, I, I know the Lord, I'm saved today, but I'm just not, I'm just not, just not in that, in that word like I should be. That can change today. That can change today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, hearts lifted to God, nobody looking around, nobody looking around. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. You say to me, Pastor Mike, I struggle. I struggle spending time in the Word. I struggle reading and studying my Bible. But I want to commit today, I want to make a commitment today that I'm going to make it a daily priority. Would you, would you just say, would you just lift your hand? Just by lifting your hand, you're saying, pray for me, Pastor Mike. God bless you. God sees his hands. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. Someone else? God bless you. God bless you. I want to make it a priority. I want to get in my word. I want to know him more. God bless you. Someone else? God bless you. Heads are still bowed. Listen, I'm not going to go to anybody. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. If you need help, if you need accountability, if you need guidance, that's what I'm here for. If you want to take the next step, if you, if you think you need a little help, a little structure, I can help you with that. That's my job to help you with that. I love God's Word. And there are other people in the church, other people who would love, love, love to help you have a relationship with Jesus through the study of His Word. I'm preaching this sermon because Miss Maggie came to me in tears because she loves the Word of God and she has such a burden that people know how to study the Word of God. There are people in this church who would love to help you, to study with you, to, to give you the tools to help you study. So I'm going to be praying for you. I'll be praying for you that if you, if you need a little help, you'll, you'll ask. And if it's just the fact that you just, you just need to make the time, that you will. Because I promise you, it's worth your time. It's worth your time. Think of all the things that you waste your time doing. It's worth making the time to open God's Word. And when you open God's Word, you are opening the door to relationship. And through that door will come the Word Jesus. He will reveal Himself to you and you will have access to grace and truth like you've never known before. Father, I thank You. I thank You that when, when books weren't enough, You came in person the word became flesh and dwelt among us 
God, I'm so moved by the thought that you took on flesh and blood. Jesus said, though you thought it not robbery to be equal with God, you made yourself of no reputation and took upon you the form of a servant and you did that for me. So that I could know you. So that I could experience you. So that I could know hope in a world of hopelessness. So that I could know, I could know your love. That I could know peace that passes all understanding. And that someday I could stand in your kingdom and be in your presence eternally with all the saints who've gone before one family brothers and sisters gathered around the throne of the Father who gave everything that we might be sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.
about you, but I need him. I need him. Every day, every hour. Don't forget today our Easter play practice. Uh, stick around uh, if you're part of the play. Uh, but don't forget, join us next week. Bring a friend. Uh, I promise it won't be quite as theological or historical. Uh, I, hope you, I hope you did get something from the message today. I hope it challenged you. I hope, it, uh, I hope, it, I hope you walk away and, and, like me, Christ is bigger. Because he is bigger. Bigger than we can imagine. And now, from him and through him and to him are all things. To Christ be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go church, scatter darkness, break chains of despair, move some mountains, be the church. Make it a great week.